Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Romans chapter 8. If you're watching online on your television or devices, I hope you have your Bible near you. Romans chapter 8 is our passage today. Today we bring to a conclusion our series about the fact that you are loved, loved by God. We emphasize this morning that God's love is eternal. It never changes. Here's the key concept this morning. God will never unfriend you. God will never unfriend you. Think about this image while you find Romans chapter 8. You're on a ship on the sea, and the ship is sinking. Now, you've sent up flares. You've called in a mayday, and you're starting to get a little bit desperate as you look at the cold waters all around you, imagining yourselves being thrust into that water. But all of a sudden, overhead, you hear a chopper. The Coast Guard has arrived and come to your rescue. And they're lowering down a rope to snatch you away. And I want you to ask yourself, which set of these instructions would cause you to feel the most secure? Would it be if they said, grab hold of the rope and we'll hoist you up? Or if they said, Wrap this rope around you and under your arms so that it surrounds you. Then we will hoist you up. See, in the first set of instructions, your safety depends on your ability to hold on to that rope. But you have to have the rope in hand and hold tightly. But in the second set of instructions, the rope has you in the grip of its lifeline. Now, this is the image I want you to keep in mind as we talk about God's eternal love for you. You are secure in His love if you know Christ as personal Savior, not because you have the ability to hold on tight enough, but because God's love holds you. That's the point that Paul is making here in Romans chapter 8. Start our reading in verse 35. Paul asks a question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's words are intended to make you have a strong sense of how unshakably secure you are in the love of God and hopefully your love for Him. See, the point of the question in verse 35 is that it's rhetorical. Who can separate us? And the answer is, no one and nothing can separate us from the love of God, even though we will face difficult times. The love of God does not mean that we will not face difficulty or, or issues or disappointments. It doesn't mean that we are guaranteed tough times won't come our way. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul expects that the people who are the followers of Jesus Christ will experience the kinds of things that he talks about in verse 35. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, 
or sword. He expects that we will face these things because He faces these things in His ministry and in His life. Those around Him, He's seen the persecution that's coming against the church. The expectation is we will encounter these things. Maybe not exactly this kind of thing, but something like it. The promise is is not that we will escape these issues, but that God's love will provide triumph for His people through these issues. You see, we need to understand our relationship with our Heavenly Father. A lot of people have a wrong image in their mind. A lot of people think that being a follower of God and follower of Jesus is like taking out a contract with God. We think that the contract has my side on the contract and God's side of the contract. My side of the contract is that I pledge to be a decent person. I pledge to be hardworking. I pledge to be nice. I pledge to believe in God uh, and follow Jesus as my Savior. And that's my side of the contract. And the other side of the contract is God's side. And His keeping of the contract means that my life is going to be easy. My kids will never get seriously sick. I will be happy. He's going to give me a great job and life will just generally work out well. And we look at that and we say, well, that seems fair. I'll keep my side of the contract and God has to keep His side. But along comes things like Paul names in verse 35. Along comes trouble and then hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword. These kinds of things come our way and we look at the contract and we say, what good is this contract? Where's God? He has to keep His side of the contract. The problem is this, there is no such contract. God does not sign that contract. He recognizes that in the world uh, uh, affected by sin, we will not be able to avoid these kinds of issues. But we can move through these issues with Him loving us all along the way and find triumph. There's promise in this passage. It's not that you'll never face this stuff, but the promise is verse 39. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God's love is eternal. It doesn't change. God loves you just as much on your worst day as He loves you on your best day. So when Satan sends doubt or discouragement, when Satan sends lies to lead us astray and convince us that it's not worth it, that somehow God's not holding up His end of the bargain, that He has disappointed us and left us all by ourselves, we need to be able to say, based on the Word of God, I am supernaturally, completely, eternally, profoundly loved by God. Word of God tells me that. Tony Campolo used to say, if God had a wallet, your picture would be in it. God loves me. Paul writes this to the Roman Christians because he is pastorally concerned for them. He has a practical issue here. He recognizes that difficulty is mounting in the Roman Empire. And he wants the followers of Christ to be comforted with the truth. And the truth is You are loved. And when you know you are loved, you can face all kinds of issues. You are loved. God's love provides for us a platform for our safety and our security. And Paul goes to great lengths when you look at this chapter to convince us of this fact. He goes to all kinds of lengths in terms of the language that he uses. And I'm going to show you the style of language in a moment. But he goes to these lengths Because He knows something about us, and that is, we will doubt, left to ourselves, we will doubt the love of God. Because there are moments when we don't feel lovely. 
There are times when we don't feel loved. Maybe it comes from our own awareness that we are fallen people, that we fail and failures of people all around us. Maybe it comes because we don't encounter this kind of eternally stable love in human relationships. Human love is frail and is faltering, and we experience that. And so sometimes we, we pull away from this reality of the eternal love of God because of our experience. Now, the name George Matheson probably is not familiar to you, but he lived in the 1800s in Scotland. He was engaged to be married, and he was uh, enrolled in seminary. He was training to be a pastor at that time, but he was noticing something as he was doing his studies and doing his reading. He, he noticed that his eyesight was getting poor, and he strained to, to read the, the documents that he needed to read and so forth. And by the time George Matheson was 26, he was totally blind. His fiancée broke off the engagement. She said, I know I'm not cut out to be married to a blind man, so she left him. And he was emotionally devastated, but he had a close relationship with his Father God. And through those dark days, he wrote a poem. And the poem was later turned into a song. The song is in our hymn book today. Here's the first line of that poem. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. One man commenting on that song said, George Matheson was physically blind, but his spiritual vision was 20-20. He will not let me go. In verse 38 and 39, Paul lets this truth be known to us in a sequence of, of language that is a, a particular style of communication. It's a language device called merism. A merism is when you set two opposite uh, poles, two opposite uh, 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 contrasts, and you put them side by, by side, and you're saying that these and everything in between is covered by what I'm saying here, okay? So, for instance, we see this a lot in Scripture. In Psalm 103.12, we read, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. In other words, the psalmist is saying, ultimately far, totally apart from the east or the west, not even close, our sins are removed from us. And merism, and we use it in English too. If you've ever said, come young and old, you mean come everybody. If you said, I searched high and low, you mean I've searched everywhere. This is the form of speech. Now, now Paul uses that form of speech to describe God's love. In verses 38 and 39, but before he gets into the pattern, he almost just kind of shouts something out. And that is he shouts out, I am convinced. I am convinced. That's the beginning of verse 39. In other words, I have come to you a eureka moment. I am absolutely for sure convinced, and I want to tell you about this. I've come to know this is true. And this is what it is that's true. The difficulties of life cannot separate you from God's love. Neither death nor life. You see the merism. Neither death nor life. He's, he's uh, described those difficulties back in verse 35, but, but now he shows us everything in life. Nothing is able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing that life throws our way. When we face times of loss, we face times of sadness, disappointments will come. There are moments when you will be ill or you will experience heartache, but God's love remains. 
neither life nor death. And certainly the biggest calamity in life, right, is death, the, the great divide. But the Christ follower doesn't need to fear death because when we go through death, following that is even greater love, a greater experience of the love of God. There is a greater and fuller life to come. Nothing can separate us. He goes on to say, supernatural powers cannot separate us from God's love, neither angels nor demons. Not everything we experience in life is of natural origin. We are in a spiritual struggle, a spiritual battle, and the forces of the heavenly realms are around us. And no matter what side those spiritual forces are on, they cannot separate us from the love of God. The good angels don't want to, but the bad angels, the demons, do want to, but they don't have the power. God's love is powerful. He goes on to say, time cannot separate us from God's love, neither the present nor the future. Maybe you have people that you've lost touch with, people that at one time you were close with, folks that at one point you couldn't imagine your life not including these people. You were with them. You enjoyed their company. You, you kind of bounce things off of them as you face dis- issues in life and decisions and those kinds of things, but times have changed. Maybe you moved or maybe an incident happened and you drifted apart. And maybe you made a promise before you drifted apart. You said, you know, we'll keep in touch. I'll, I'll, I'll be in touch with you. But that drifted, that diminished over time. Pretty soon it was just a Christmas card here and there. And then even that kind of frittered away. Time marches on, and and what happens is our attention marches with it. People in the past sometimes get put in the past and stay in the past, but time is powerless against God's love because He lives and He he functions outside of time. He's in eternity. Time doesn't touch Him. He sees all the time, all the time, and so His love for you is always present tense. He loves you always. Always. Now, he's in this pattern of going back and forth, this merism, and then in the end of verse 38, Paul kind of steps out of his literary pattern. Why? Because he's getting excited. He goes, neither the present nor the future nor any powers. You can almost imagine him dictating this. You should because that's how this was, these letters were created. He was dictating this to a secretary, the secretary frantically writing, and Paul in his, in his excitement says, there's no powers that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, but then he gets back into his pattern and he says, distance cannot separate you from the love of God, neither height nor depth. You cannot go high enough to escape God's love. You cannot go low enough that you're off God's radar. Have you been places that you shouldn't have gone? God loved you there. God saw you there and he loves you still. Have you witnessed things that you shouldn't have seen? God loved you there. He saw you there and He loves you still. Have you been to remote places when you thought you were all alone? Places where there was no cell service and you didn't hear any of the sounds of of, uh, humanity, just the sound maybe of the rustling wind. Maybe you thought to yourself, you know, I wonder if anybody else has ever stepped here. Maybe I'm the only person to step here in this wilderness place. God was there. God was watching you. He was loving you and He loves you still. You can't go anywhere. No distance can separate you from the love of God. And then Paul sums it up. After height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He makes that general statement because maybe his reader and maybe you listening, maybe they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe you're not naming a category 
that I experience. I mean, it's possible. But what if I, what if I go into outer space? You didn't mention that. Or what if I go to a different dimension? You didn't mention that. Paul says anything, anywhere in all creation. Well, what if I decide I want to be unloved? Are you a created being? Then, sorry, it's not going to work. God will always love you. All creation, God will love you. You can't undo what God does. And that principle right there, you can't undo what God does, crosses a line for us and brings us into a little bit of theology. A theology we need, to be, we need to know about and be assured of, and that is this. God's love for His people assures us of the perseverance of the salvation of His loved ones. So what I'm talking about is commonly uh, referred to as eternal security, but more accurately, we should call it the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And that doctrine is based on the unchanging love and power of God. It goes this way. All those who are truly born again will be kept by the power of God and will persevere to the end. And only those who persevere to the end have been truly born of God. See, let's not get lazy in our thinking. There's two sides to this. The true believer will persevere, and only those who persevere are true believers. And all throughout the Scripture, we can rest on that fact. Why? Because your salvation is not something that you do. Your salvation is something that God does, and you cannot undo what God does. And through the Bible, therefore, we have a number of verses that I label saved if verses, and we misread them. Sometimes we read them and we think to ourselves, these verses are telling us that you better watch out, you better do well, jump high, run fast in spiritual terms, do all this good stuff so that you can prove that you're saved because if you don't see it, you may not be. You may lose your salvation. That's not what these saved if verses are there to tell us. The saved if verses are there to say, this is what salvation looks like. This is what it is in action. This is what you should see in yourself. For instance, Colossians 1.23, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved by the hope held out, uh, from the hope held out in the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15.2, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in vain. Jesus speaks in Matthew 24, He who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is what it looks like when you are truly a saint who's persevering. You will stand firm. You will hold on to the Word. You will not be moved. True belief will endure. That's the point. Why? Because God is in the fight with you, loving you all along the way. Philippians 1.6, He who began a good work in you will perfect, perfect it until the day of Christ. And He will do that because He loves you and that will never change. Standing firm. What does that look like in the life of a believer? Well, it looks like this. It looks like the ability to say yes to this series of questions. Question number one. Do I right now trust in Jesus as my Savior? Do I look to Him for the forgiveness of my sins? And do I, inside my heart, trust in Him and His work? You see, if all this religious stuff, 
is to impress your wife or to keep your husband off your back or your parents, if all of that is what it is, I beg you to know you're not uh, covered by the promise. It is a step of faith. Secondly, number two, question, can I see evidence of His work in my life? Have there been things that have changed within me because of my relationship with Christ? Why? Because this relationship is transformational. Now, it doesn't happen all at once. We're not all arrived yet. We're in process. But has there been a process? If only it's all about the outside and nothing on the inside, that's not a sure foundation. Thirdly, am I desirous to grow in this Christian walk? If your heart's desire run only towards the things of the world, it speaks danger to your soul. And fourth, can I look back in the course of my life and see what I'll call faith markers? Can I see times when I called out to God and He showed up? Times of need in my life when God took care of the need. Times when I know He was protecting me along the way faith markers. It speaks of a relationship that's there. Now, sometimes we only see those things looking back. We don't, might not even understand them while we're in the midst of them. So I encourage you to be able to look back, to take time and reflect over your life and over what you have experienced and are experiencing the Lord so that you have the strength that comes with looking and seeing faith markers. God showed up here and He did this here. That's part of what this rooted study does. It brings us to the Word. It brings us to a time of reflection each day when we kind of uh, write out some things that God is telling us and what God is showing us. And it's an important skill to develop. One of the things that I have done in my life, and I, I encourage it for you, is uh, I regularly write in a journal, my, my journal. It's, uh, it started years ago just as a list of prayer requests. I, I want, want to make sure I was, you know, covering the prayer needs around me. So I, I took out a, one of those composition books you buy at the 99-cent store, and I started listing prayer requests. But over time, it turned into a reflection of what God was doing in my life, the kinds of things that were happening, the passages of Scripture I was reading. And, and I've been doing that for years. And here's what I have that I hope for you one day. I have the ability to ask myself the question, what was I praying about 10 years ago at this time of the year? And I can look in my journal and find out and see what God has done. I can ask myself, what was I praying about 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 35 years ago? I have those journals. Some of them are getting kind of old and brittle by this time. But I can open up those pages, and I don't do it every day, but I do it regularly, and I can open up those pages. This time of the year, 35 years ago, these were the things that I was praying about, and this is what God did. I was doing that just the other day, just reflecting on that. And that provides me with a faith marker that I can use to say, yes, for sure, I am secure in the love of God. I would wish that for you. And if that is a habit that begins in the rooted study let it begin. It's never too late because it will always be a blessing if you can do that. And so here's a, here's a final thought, a summary thought, not only for this message, but for this entire series. The fact of your security in God's love should prompt you to love others. That's the point. John 13, Jesus is speaking. He says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
Christ's love for us is first. Our love for Him is the echo of that love. But that echo goes upward and horizontal. We're meant to love others around us. His love is intended to flow through us. But it will only happen when we're absolutely secure that it is real. And it is. So, tomorrow morning, when you wake up, I hope you first breathe this truth to yourself, God loves me. Later in the day, as you face the pressures of life, work, whatever it is, you'll need to come back to that truth, God loves me. When you pause for lunch and you bow to save your blessing over your lunch, include in the blessing, thank you, God, for your love. Later at supper, do the same thing. You bless me because you love me. And at the end of the day, as you close your eyes, recall in your pillow, God loves you with everlasting love. Why? It'll give you the courage you need to love others. And His love will never fail and never falter. His love is eternal. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank You for Your love. And there's no greater example of that love than what You did for us on the cross. So in a moment as we share communion together, we pray that we would recognize it all as a ministry of love, concern, mercy, and grace. Lord, help us to live in the light of that enormous love. In Your name we pray. Amen.